Our scripture reading today comes from Exodus chapter 16, verses 1 through 12. This is the word of the Lord. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt? When we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day when they prepare what they bring in and it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, at evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, when the Lord, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. When Moses said to Aaron, say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am and the Lord your God. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Well, we are so grateful to be worshiping together and uh, to the members of Morningside, I just wanna thank you for allowing the members of Christ's covenant to be here, to be worshiping the Lord together, to be working out who we are as a covenant people of God. And it's good today to be working those things out together. Uh, what does it mean to walk with the Lord? What does it mean to, to follow the Lord faithfully? And that's certainly what we see in this text, this idea of living out a covenant life with the living God. You know, when Paige and I fell in love, we had kind of a dreamy uh, falling in love time. It was, uh, we went on these great dates and so romantic and there was always you know, music playing in the background. You, you, you all have that album that you kind of like fell in love to. Ours was Band of Horses and uh, it was just awesome. And it was dreamy. The whole thing was just amazing. And, um, you know, then we got married and had a dreamy wedding and went on a honeymoon and, and um, it was amazing and just such a fun and sweet time of life. And, and our, our marriage has been fun and sweet. But I, I remember... And I don't think either of us will ever forget our first marriage fight. 
Like our first big fight as a, as a married couple, and, and those of you maybe who are married, you, you, you kind of have a similar memory, like that first marriage fight. And it, I think it surprised both of us uh, because, you know, both Paige and I are pretty confident people. And I think we thought, well, of course, I'm going to be a great husband and I'm going to be an amazing wife. And so we just kind of thought, you know, other people uh, fight in their marriages. We understand that. But we've, you know, we've read Lupriolo's books. And of course, we, we're better than that, right? We're, we're not going to have these things. And so our first, you know, disagreement, our first argument, it, it, I think it kind of took us off guard. It was like, wait a second, you know, what's, what's, what's wrong with us here? And, and, and really, as we've learned to kind of do that, live together and disagree sometimes and, and, and what that looks like when we, we do have disagreements and uh, when our feelings are hurt or when we're being selfish or when blind spots are being revealed and all the rest, that's really the, that's really the thing. That is really the, the wonder and the magic of marriage. It's not so much living in the covenant or it's not so much making the covenant of marriage. It's living in the covenant of marriage. That's the beauty of it. That's what really reveals, here, here's the thing. That's really what reveals what's in your heart. That really reveals what is true of you. And you know, we see the same kind of thing in the text that we're looking at today. What does it mean to be in covenant with God what does it mean to actually live out a covenantal relationship with God? If you've been with us, we've been studying the book of Exodus. And at this point of the story, Israel is in covenant with God. They've crossed over. They've been in the land of Egypt. They were in bondage. They were in slavery. But God sent them a deliverer. He led them out of Egypt last week, if you're here, in this most miraculous way, the Red Sea was parted. The people of Israel crossed on, on dry ground. The, their enemies, the Egyptians, were destroyed. And, and now they're out of Egypt. They're, they're with God. If you will, the covenant has been made. But now they're having to learn, do, do we really believe this God? Can we really trust this God? Do we really love this God? And, and so as we think about this, two big ideas that I want to look at with you today. Number, number one is the plans of God. And number two, the provision of God. I had a great conversation uh, with a friend of mine this week about the plans of God and what God is up to. And, and sometimes you don't know what God is up to. And, and so because sometimes God is doing something different than what we would assume he would do, we, we miss that the Lord is at work. And, and oftentimes our view of God, our understanding of God and his plans are very transactional. It's very transactional, right? I'm going to pray this much. I'm going to give this much to the Lord. He's going to bless me. It's going to go like this. I'm going to, I'm going to obey him along the way and this will happen and it will go well with me. We have a very transactional kind of understanding of the Lord. And that's a little bit of what we see here. I mean, God had saved this people in this most amazing way. And if you've read chapter 15, there's this response and it's the right response. God had saved them miraculously and they sing to the Lord. They praise the living God. From chapter 15, we read in verse two, the Lord is my salvation. And my song, he has become my salvation. Verse 11, who is like you, O God, among the other gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? Verse 18, the Lord will reign 
forever and ever. They sang to the Lord just like we (laughs) just sang to the Lord. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. My sins, yes, they are many, but his mercy is more. Praise the Lord. I will build my life on you, God. It's a, you are a firm foundation. They sang, we sang. They were excited about the power of God. They'd seen the power of God. But just days later, <laughs> just days later, if you, if you look at your first verse there in Exodus 16, it says that these events that Christian just read to us, it happened on the 15th day of the second month. Now, if you remember from two weeks ago, we looked at the Passover and the Passover night, the night of God's visitation, the night when all the people of Israel were saved from God's judgment and all the families of Egypt felt God's judgment, that night of the Passover, that was the 14th day of the first month. This is now the 15th day of the second month. So it's just a month and a day later. And in that month, I mean, so much has happened. They had the Passover night. God had visited Egypt. A member of every household of the house of Egypt had died. And they had been spared. They had been saved. Pharaoh, amazingly, I mean, something they never thought would happen, had released them. He'd set them go. He'd let them go as his slaves. Something else amazing happened. The Egyptians, as they were leaving, I always think this is an amazing part of the story, spoiled them. They, they threw gold and treasures upon them as they were leaving Egypt. They'd gone out of Egypt. They'd seen God manifest himself in a pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke in the wilderness. They had been trapped by the Egyptian army and the Red Sea, and God amazingly parted the sea. They crossed through on dry ground, and God swallowed up their enemies in the water of his judgment. They had the most amazing worship service that had ever been recorded to this point in history, which is Exodus 15. And even after that, just days after that, they'd seen God change the bitter water of Mara into sweet water. This is all one month, okay? I know some people like to post like my month on Instagram, right? I mean, this is a strong month right here. I mean, this is, these are some amazing posts, you know, me crossing through the Red Sea, right, you know? Passover blood on the doorpost, you know, whatever it is. And an incredible month, they had seen so much. And there were moments when their confidence was really high. I mean, again, Exodus 15, this, this incredible praise service to the Lord. But just a few days into the wilderness here, second, 15th day, one day, or one month, one day, after all this kind of began, verse three, Would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat and had our fill and ate bread to the full. For you've brought us out here to the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Is that what Egypt was like? You know, Is that why they cried out to God to save them, to rescue them, to deliver them? Is that why in chapter two, we hear the cry of the Hebrew people in Egypt? Are they crying out to God because they're sitting by pots of meat and eating bread to the full? Is that what was really going on here? You know, I think we feel like this is a modern problem, you know, fake news. But this is just basic humanity. Now, because of technology, obviously we see it more and more. But this has always been around 
people <laughs> interpreting events maybe differently than how they actually were. You know, even I mentioned Paige and I arguing, even when we do have arguments and we recount the thing that we're upset about, right? The way that I recount it and the way that she recounts it are often very different, you know? Yeah, I always say, well, what I said was this. And she'll say, no, 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 that's not the tone that you said it in, you know? It's always the tone, you know? But we do this, we, 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 we kind of see history in a way that serves our purposes. You know, Paul Simon famously said, man hears what he wants to hear and disregards the rest, right? And I think that's true. And I think that man also tells the story in the way that he wants to tell the story, the way that serves his purposes in the best way. We're like this with one another and we're also like this with God. We can have a very selective memory with the Lord. Our relationship with God, as I said, can be incredibly transactional. But here's the deal. God doesn't want a transactional relationship with you. God wants a covenant with you. <laughs> he, wants you to, he wants to walk with you. He wants you to know him and trust him when, when it's good and when things are going kind of according to plan and when things are a wreck. He wants your heart. He doesn't want a transaction. Some of y'all have heard me talk about Benny's, it's where I go get my shoes repaired, right? There's not a lot of great shoe repairmen out there, but Benny's, if you need your shoes repaired. I mean, in fact, if you notice this work right here, that's Benny, right? I mean, amazing work. They'll resole your shoes. He does an amazing job. But my relationship with Benny, it's a great relationship, but it's totally a transaction, right? I take my shoes to Benny. He repairs them in a quality way. I give him money and he gives me my shoes back, right? It's, a, it's totally a transaction. If he didn't repair my shoes or if I didn't give him money, that relationship would be over. That's not the kind of relationship the Lord wants with us. He, he wants a covenant. He wants us to know him, to trust him, to love him. And, and this is why studying books like Exodus is so helpful. This is what covenant is like. This is an amazing case study of what it really means to walk with a living God. You know, Alec Matir, in his commentary on Exodus, says, you know, you know if, you were to go, if you were to go to ancient Israel, and you would go to a man or a woman in ancient Israel and say, tell me about your life, tell me about your story, you know what they would say? They would say, well, I was in bondage. I was in bondage, and there was no way out. <laughs> there, was, there was no way out. They, they, could almost stay, they could almost say, I stood neath a debt I could never afford, right? They, I was in bondage. There was no way out, but God sent me a deliverer. God sent us a deliverer, and that deliverer came, and, and through the deliverer, we saw the power of God, and we came under the blood of the Lamb, <laughs> and because we came under the blood of the Lamb, we were saved from God's judgment, and and God brought us out of bondage and we, we passed through the water showing that we were the people of God, showing this sign that, to the whole world that we were God's covenant people. And then, of course, God began to teach us and show us his way and show us his law. And we're trying to learn to live by his law and to become like him and to follow his way until, of course, we finally make it to the promised land. So we make it home. Now, what does that testimony sound like? What does that story sound like? Well, it, <laughs> it kind of sounds like my testimony. It kind of sounds like your testimony. It, that's why this is so helpful. This is covenant relationship. This narrative of these people living in covenant relationship with God is, is helpful to, to us, the same kind of people who are trying to walk with God, to live with God, to have him shape our lives. And again, it's not just the making of the covenant that's powerful. 
It's not the making of the covenant that removes your blind spots or reveals the rough spaces in your heart or reveals what you really desire. It's the living in the covenant that shows those things. Moses, in the end of his life, he gave this big sermon. We call it the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, it it literally means the second law or the second giving of the law. And it's best to understand, if you've read the book of Deuteronomy, it's best to be understood as like Moses' last dance, right? It's, it's, it's Moses' swan song. It's Moses' final big sermon. Here's what you got to remember. I've been leading you. I've been walking with you for all these 40 years. Here's the things you really got to keep in mind, Israel. And he says this in Deuteronomy 8. This is 8.2. He says, you shall remember the way, in fact, you can go ahead and turn to Deuteronomy 8. We're going to be going back and forth. Deuteronomy 8, 2. You shall remember the whole way that the Lord God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. Okay? They're in the wilderness. God's leading them in the wilderness. They're having to learn to live in covenant. God knows it's not great in the wilderness, but why are they there? And Moses explains, God has led you in the wilderness that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart. God's led you to the wilderness because he wants to see what's actually in your heart. He doesn't want a transaction. He wants a relationship. He's calling you into covenant. He wants you to be his people, whether you would keep his command or not. We've been talking about the plans of God. Again, we can have very transactional relationship with God. We want God to conform to our plans. We want God to bless our plans. But here's the problem with that. Sometimes that happens, right? Sometimes our plans do line up with the plans of God. And it it feels like he's for us. But when God's plan is different, when his plan is to humble us, which we need to be humbled, when his plan is to test us, when his plan is to, to shape our hearts, and, and his plan doesn't go according to our plan, when his plan is to use us to bless somebody else that we can't see, when his plan doesn't exactly go as we want, we can feel like he's distant from us and we doubt him. That's what's happening here. God is up to something. He's testing their heart. He's, they're living out this life of relationship with him. And God is saying, do you really love me, right? Is our relationship just based on the transaction? Do you just like me because I got you out of Egypt? Or do you really love me? Do you really trust me? And what about you? Do you really know God? Do you really trust God? Do you really trust his plans? We just sang, you know, praise the Lord. We just sang, praise the Lord Almighty. I'll build my whole life on you. But is that true? And when you come to know the Lord, it's the same thing that's happening here. You're coming out of bondage. You're coming out of bondage. You're coming out of bondage to sin. You're coming out of bondage to death. You're coming out of bondage to the judgment of God. And I said last week, you know, the true test of your heart is not whether you're serving God or not serving God. The true test of of your heart is are you serving God, the true God, Yahweh, or are you serving some other God? And that's what this whole book is about. That's the whole book. You know, we could say, okay, what's Exodus about? It's about this. 
There's people that have been enslaved to Pharaoh. They were in bondage to Pharaoh. They were serving Pharaoh and God is bringing them out. And he says, I want you to be my people. I want you to love me. I want you to serve me. I want you to live in holiness to me. I want you to come under my reign and my rule. And I want you to be free and truly free because in a sense you're enslaved to me, because you're worshiping me, because you're serving me. And that's where true freedom is found. You're only free, you're only really free when you do what you want to do, when what you want to do is what you ought to do. (laughs) And you only do what you ought to do when you do what God wants you to do. That's the point of the book. You've been in bondage to Pharaoh. I want you to come, I'm freeing you from that bondage. I'm bringing you out to actually be free, to actually live as you were designed to live, to be the people of God. And you will be the people of God as you love me, as you worship me. Come out of this bondage into freedom. Now, as you think about this text, because this this can be confusing to us as Christians, trying to live this out. Uh, Ed Clowney writes about this, and it's very helpful. This has been a very helpful idea to me. And he talks about the layers of bondage. The, the Christian life, the book of Exodus, is about coming out of bondage into worship of the living God, but there's, there's layers to that. <laughs> and there's a process to that. And there's layers to their bondage. There's, there's a process to this. So the, the first layer is what Ed Klein calls the objective layer, and I'm going to edit his layers a little bit. But the objective layer, the objective layer, objectively... The people of Israel were free from Egypt. I mean, Israel was drowned. I mean, Egypt, rather, was drowned. They were dead in the Red Sea. They had crossed over. They had been set free. I mean, objectively, they were no longer under Pharaoh's rule, right? And it's the same thing with you. The amazing thing about the gospel is this. When you trust Jesus, when you turn from your sin, and you trust in Jesus to save you, He will save you. He does save you. Objectively, he sets you free. You know, Christians said, we we have nothing to bring, right? We have nothing to bring to the Lord. That's That's what it means to trust Jesus. When we trust Jesus, when we turn to Jesus, when we repent of our sin and trust in Jesus, our sin and our guilt that would damn us before a holy God is transferred to Jesus And in a sense, he was damned. He endured God's wrath. He went to the cross on our behalf, in our place. He was stricken. He was crushed by the Father's wrath so that we could be forgiven. When he said, it is finished on the cross, here's the amazing thing about Christianity, and I have to remember this all the time. Jesus is saying, when he said it is finished, he's saying, I am paying for your sins past I can kind of get my hand over that, but here's what I have to remind myself. Present and future. All of our sin has been counted to him. All of our sin has been punished through him so that all of our sin can be forgiven by him. And objectively, in Christ, if you're through faith in Christ, through repentance and faith in Christ, you are forgiven. And, and, and this is an amazing and, The righteousness of Christ, the perfect record of Jesus, his perfect righteousness 
has been credited to you, has been accounted to you. That's why we can approach the throne of grace. That's why we can pray to God. That's why we can go before God, not as slaves, as Christian just reminded us. We can go where God not as slaves, but as sons and daughters. You know how a son, you know how my kids run up to me? I could be preaching right now and my kids would run up here and be like, Dad, you know, what are you doing? Because they're my children. They have an audience with me. They don't, they don't need permission. They're my children. I love them. And what the objective truth of the gospel says to you is that through faith in Jesus, your sin is canceled. The righteousness of Christ has been accredited to you. And so now you can approach the throne of God free, unburdened, with boldness, with confidence. That's the objective layer. I love the verse. We talk about it all the time. 2 Corinthians 5.21. God made him, Jesus, to be sin, to be our sin, so that in him, we who were sinners could become the righteousness of God. That's the objective layer. If you're in Christ objectively, you're right, you're forgiven. You're, you're counted as righteous in Christ. Now, here's the deal. <laughs> you say, okay, okay, I get that, Jason. But why do I, why do I still struggle with sin? Why, why does this, why do I feel like I'm not really of the people of God sometimes? And that's, that's the layers. That's where this, the layers are helpful. The next layer, then, is the subjective layer. Objectively, you're free. Objectively, you've been brought out of bondage. But subjectively, do you really believe that? That's the question. Do you really believe that? The Bible says to you, as we just said, you are a son of God. You're a daughter of God. Do you really believe that? The Bible says to you that God's plans for you are good. Do you really believe that? The Bible says to you, Jesus says to you through his word, that there is an eternal dwelling place for you, that, that one day in the coming ages, I mean, this is an amazing thing to believe, God the Father, because of what Christ has done for us, just wants to lavish his love upon us, that one day in Christ, the inheritance of God is ours. You know, I don't come from a wealthy family. I don't have like an inheritance that I'm waiting for someday, but guess what? The inheritance of God the Father, my Father in Christ Jesus is mine. The inheritance of God is mine. And it's yours too, as brothers and sisters with Christ in his kingdom. Do you believe that, right? Has that truth actually penetrated your heart? This was the truth of Israel. God had saved them, but did they believe? Did they actually understand who they were? Did they love God? Did they trust God? They believed when they had crossed the Red Sea and they saw the people of Egypt dead on the seashore, but did they believe in the wilderness? So God is saying, my, my plan here, Moses says, my God's plan here is to test you. <laughs> to see what's actually in your heart. And over and over and over again, we see with the people, even though God was their Lord, they're longing for Pharaoh. They're reaching back to Egypt. Oh, we had pots of meat. <laughs> we had bread to the full. And, and I would ask you and myself that question today. What are the Pharaohs that still call to you? That say, trust me, you can trust me, you can really count on me. It was great when we, you were serving me, right? I really took care of you. You can't trust the Lord and his word and his way, but you can sure trust me. Who's calling you? What's calling to you like that? 
today. You know, when I was at First Covington, I pastored First Baptist Covington between 2008-2013. First Baptist Covington, a very typical First Baptist church in a southern town. A lot of committees, you know, a lot of family structure. Um, a lot of like expectations on the ministers that were hard. I mean, it was, it was actually kind of a hard place to pastor. I mean, I certainly felt some of that. You, you, you kind of had, to, one of the things I learned at First Covington, that's actually served me incredibly well throughout my ministry, is that there's going to be people that are disappointed with me all the time, right? Just have to like, okay. I mean, probably several of you today are disappointed in me. You know, I, it's okay. I've, I'm trained for that. I'm used to it. I'm good. But at First Covington, there's just people that are disappointed with you. And then I, um, there, was a, there was a student minister, and he had been there before I was there, and I had heard a lot of good things about him. I mean, he, I heard he had a really good ministry. He was doing a good job. And so I get lunch with him. You know, I'd just gotten there. I'm saying, hey, well, you know, what happened? You know, why did you leave? It seemed like you had a pretty good ministry. It seemed like you were liked. And, you know, this is one of these churches that had a lot of committees, the youth committee, you know. And he said, Jason, to be honest, I, I just, I couldn't have a bunch of like middle-aged soccer moms like define my life and worth anymore. And what he was saying is he existed in this place where there was a student committee and they, he always was doing wrong. He never was doing right. He never was preaching good. He never was doing enough for the kids. He never was doing this. He should have done this better. He should have done that better. And he started to believe that. He had to remove himself from the situation. He was being defined by his work. You know, a lot of work, a lot of work can do that. And social media can do that. And your parents, <laughs> maybe well-meaning, can do that. Your friends can do that. Culture at large can do that. And if you're not careful, you begin listening to the voice of all these pharaohs around you. That's what defines you. That's what creates your value system. What God desired for his people here and what he desires for you is would you just believe me? God says, you're my son. You're my beloved daughter and I have proved this to you in, in the most profound way. I've given my life for you. God says to you, I love you. I treasure you. God says to you, my plans for you are actually good and actually right. Do you believe that? Or are you letting something else define you? Are you letting Pharaoh call out to you? And then the third layer is, is the real layer. And again, I'm editing Clowney's layers, but for simplicity, it's the real layer. It's, it's, when, it's when we actually live into the identity that we have in Jesus. It's when we actually start living into what God has said is true of us for those of us who are in Christ. We start living like a son or a daughter. We start desiring the things of Christ. You know, here's the deal. True obedience is not just when your actions line up with the will of God. It's when your desires line up with the will of God. It's when you want the things that God wants, right? Then you're free. And, and, and the goal of salvation is that increasingly we would live out this righteous life by having righteous desires. At the end of the Deuteronomy 8 passage, 
Moses says, God's brought you out of Egypt into the wilderness so that he could humble you, so he could really know what's in your heart, so he could really see who you're trusting. Do you really trust God to provide for you? Do you really trust God? And you know, that's, that's what's helpful about the wilderness. The wilderness is revealing. You know, when I get sick, or when I have financial issues, or when, you know, something, when I've just blown it, I become very needy. I, I recognize my dependence. I, I cry out to God more. I'm in more of a state of prayer. When, when we had our children, our, our first little child, we, we lost in miscarriage. And so with the rest of our children, all of our other, every ultrasound appointment, I mean, some of you guys remember this. I mean, I'm typically a pretty confident guy, feel like I'm, you know, good to go, courageous, I like to think that, but I was a wreck. You know, every other ultrasound, I would go and I'd be so nervous and I have so much anxiety and, 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 and I, there was nothing I could do. I mean, there's, there's nothing I could do, you know? I couldn't do anything. All I could do was pray. All I could do is trust God. All I could do is say, God, in this moment, I trust you. Whatever happens, all I could do is be dependent on the Lord. There is a good to the wilderness. God can do so much in your heart when you are in the wilderness, that's what God, I brought you to the wilderness to see what's in your heart. <laughs> to, 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 if you will, train your heart to trust me, to love you. But there's, there's also, abundance is also clarifying. When you're abundant, are you still dependent? Do you, are you aware of your own need? Are you aware of your own dependence on God? Are you aware that your abundance has come from the Lord? Moses said, the Lord is leading you to the wilderness to humble you. But he goes on to say, when God leads you into the promised land, when God leads you into the promised land, watch out. Don't forget about the Lord. I had a conversation with a friend this week, and we were talking about this uh, John Wesley quote. And John Wesley was talking about kind of the, the cycle of Christianity. He said, you know, they became Christians, and because they became Christians, they became thrifty. They took on Christian principles. They managed their money according to the Bible. And because they became thrifty, they became rich. And because they became rich, they quit being Christians. And, you know, that's a, that's a telling cycle. And we've seen that happen. It's actually kind of happening in our society at large right now. So many of the principles and things that have made us prosper so much, we're totally ignoring. We're totally forgetting about. But the, the, the same thing has ha happened here with Israel. God says, I've taken you to the wilderness. I've shaped you. I've formed you. I've tested your heart. But don't forget about it when you prosper in the promised land. Deuteronomy 8, 17 Moses says, beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. No, Moses says, remember the Lord, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant, that he may show his true goodness, that he swore to your fathers as it, as it is to this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I will solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Moses has Egypt in mind here. So remember Egypt. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you so that you, you shall perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. What's in your heart? Is your heart really for me? You really depend on the Lord when you're in the wilderness and when you're in abundance. Is it the Lord who provides? We, we can easily think it's our work, our effort, our job, but no, those are all just means that the Lord is using to provide for us. So we've learned about God's plan. His plan is for our heart. He wants your heart. What about his provision? And even his provision here 
is instructive. The people come to the Lord asking for food and the Lord so graciously provides. I mean, I love verse 12. God says, I've heard the groaning of the people of Israel. Say to them at twilight, you shall eat meat. And in the morning, you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, your God. And God feeds them with this good food. I mean, I love the description. We we didn't get into it in the text, but it's good and tasty food that God provides for them. God provides them. God, in a sense, has fed them. But in order to get this, and this is so helpful, in order to take advantage of the provision of the Lord, what do they have to do? They have to listen to the word of God. And they have to go out every day and they have to collect what God provides and they can't go out on the Sabbath or the food will be rotten. They can't collect more than they need. They actually have to listen to God's instruction in order to receive the abundance that he has given them. In a sense, you could say it this way. God was gonna provide for them for 40 years. I mean, the storehouse for 40 years of provision was theirs. But in order to experience that, in order to taste the goodness of God, they had to daily follow the Lord. They had to daily listen to the instruction of the Lord. And that is so helpful for us. It's over you. The gospel in Christ has given you everything. I mean, it's given you everything. God is your father. You have the whole universe. You have an inherit. There's, there's nothing more you could ever need. The storehouse of heaven, God has said, is yours. As a child of mine in Christ, you know the living God. God has given you everything. But in order to really feast on that, In order to really experience the goodness of God, you have to trust him every day with everything. You know, Thomas reminded us this week in our teaching meeting of the Lord's Prayer. You know how the Lord's Prayer begins? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom, the kingdom of God, your kingdom come. Your will be done on the whole earth as it is in heaven. This big act, God's will be done. God's kingdom come. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us the next meal, please. That's that's it. that's, That's the best thing I could tell you. The gospel has given you everything when the gospel touches everything. When the gospel impacts everything in your life. You you want the kingdom of God to come? Start by eating. But eat in light of God. You know how you eat in a gospel-centered way? You know how you eat in light of the gospel? It's everything is from God. And because of my sin, I'm actually God's enemy. He doesn't need to. He doesn't have to give me anything. In fact, I'm his enemy. What would be right is for God to judge me here, but he hasn't. He's provided everything for me. He's provided nourishment for my soul. He's provided me salvation in Christ. And he's even, the evidence of that is he's given me this little meal. And so I'm gonna eat it to the glory of God. You know how you have relationships in light of the gospel? This coworker who kind of gets on my nerves. (laughs) who sits next to me, you know what? There's somebody that's made in the image of God, just like me. And I can clearly see the sin in their eye, the sin in their life, but (laughs) actually there's sin in my life too. I'm no better than them. But God has graciously saved me in Christ. 
And actually, if, if, if there is anything in my life that's more reflective of God, it's only because of God's grace. It's only because of his sanctifying grace in my life. And now God has sent me to them to be their ambassador to actually show Jesus that will radically change every relationship, everything. You know, do, do, do you work in light of the gospel? Do you spend your money in light of the gospel? Do you have sex in light of the gospel? I mean, everything of your life. Thy kingdom come. You know what happens? <laughs> it happens when you wake up <laughs> and you get out of bed to the glory of God and you eat a meal to the glory of God and you drive your car to the glory of God. As the people of God show the reign of God in their life, the kingdom of God through them penetrates the whole world. And that's what Moses was trying to say. He said, God gave you manna this is back in Deuteronomy. I'm not going to go back up there, but God gave you manna. God gave you manna so that you could rem be reminded that you don't just live on bread, you live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's not just bread you need, <laughs> you need God for everything. You know, years later, Jesus came and he started teaching this. <laughs> he started teaching this. He was at the Sea of Galilee, and he said, you, you know the manna? You know the manna, Moses? You talked about the manna that was supposed to remind you that you weren't supposed to just live on bread alone, but you were supposed to live that every word that came through the mouth of God totally dependent on God. You know that manna? And then he said this. This is amazing. He said, it's me. I am the bread of life. It's me. I am the word of God that you're supposed to be feasting on. I am life, look to me, look to me for everything. And then later, he, he took it a step further here. Let's go to uh, verse 51, next slide. He says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. He says, if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for life, for the life of the world is my flesh. Now the people didn't know what he meant, but I'll tell you what he meant. He, he was saying this, God has been calling out to people from the time of Moses. To now. God's been calling out to you, live by my word, trust me. Trust me, I brought you to the wilderness to humble you. I brought you to the wilderness to see what your heart, trust me. And not only have we not listened to the word of God, we've listened to the word of Pharaoh. We've aligned ourselves with the enemies of God. And what we deserve, the faith that we deserve is the same faith that they got. The judgment of God. But Jesus says there's one hope. There's one hope for life, for the whole world. There's one hope for life that you would not endure the fate that the enemies of God receive. And here's the hope. It's my flesh. And on the last supper night with the disciples, he says, this is my body. And because I love you, and because the objective Freedom from bondage, because I want to free you from the bondage of sin and God's judgment. I will be broken for you. I will be crushed for you so that your sin can be totally canceled. So that you can be set free, so that you, by God, can be forgiven. And then he said, this is my blood poured out for you. I'm making a covenant with my own life for you. So that you won't doubt this. You know, look, we're all learning how to live in the covenant. <laughs> I'm learning it. I'm with you. 
I'm learning how to live in the covenant. You know, the, the calls of Pharaoh are very real in my life, just as they are in your life. But the thing that always brings me back is that I can remember, you know, I can live, I can live, I can trust the word of God as I trust the flesh of God that was broken for me, as I trust that Jesus loved me enough that despite all of my failures, he still gave his life for me. He still endured my suffering. He still calls me into covenantal life with God. As I look to that, as I meditate on that, guess what? His words come to me more softly. They, they, they come to me in love. I trust them more. I long to listen to them. As we, as we really understand how much Jesus has loved us and how he's shown us that love in the breaking of his body, the spilling of his blood, we learn to trust every word he says. I am the bread of life, Jesus says. Live by me. Feast on me. I am the one who brings life to the whole world. Let's pray. Father, give us ears to hear. Thank you for this word, this this book that's so helpful, it's so poignant to us, it's so pertinent to us. You've made a covenant with us by Jesus. It's only in Christ. You've made this covenant. And I pray, Father, that only in Christ you would, that we would live in the covenant. You would sharpen our edges. You would open our eyes, the blind parts of our soul, Lord. You would reveal that even now in this moment would be a moment of repentance and faith for us that once again we would be renewed. We'd follow after Jesus. We would turn away from the calls of Pharaoh and the other false gods and turn to the sweet voice of your son. We would hunger, not just for bread, for every word that comes out of his mouth, that we would live by it. So Lord, give us, give us faithful hearts today, Lord. I pray that even now in this moment, we would find our identity not in what we bring to you in our hands, but in what has been done for us in Jesus. We can cling to his cross. And we can count on his love. We can follow his way. Give us grace in these things, Lord, I ask in Jesus' name.